This week, uh, there's probably just a tiny little bit of brutality this week, just to give you a heads up at the start, but it's good brutality, all right? Because uh, today actually is about getting the right diagnosis. If you're here last week, I talked at the start of last week's message about the fact that there are lots of people with lots of different diagnoses as to what's actually wrong with us. And you can go, I mean, if, if you've got the measles and you go to the doctor and they say, what's going to fix this as a Band-Aid, you'll just go, no, the problem is in the bloodstream. It's not on the surface. Uh, the Band-Aid might cover it up for a little bit, but it doesn't actually solve the issue. Uh, there is a huge amount of freedom, and I was actually talking to someone last week at the end of last week's sermon, and they said it was just such an uplifting sermon. I kind of thought, well, that's weird, because it didn't feel like it to me. But you know what it was? They actually realised that they had the correct diagnosis for what was going on with them. And once you get the correct diagnosis, there's a sense of hope, isn't there? Because you know that there's actually a cure, or there's a way to actually deal with it. So uh, that's what we're on about. Yeah, I'll try not to cry too much up the front here today. If you haven't been here before, I don't cry, but every now and then I do. Now, I'm going to uh, throw around a couple of uh, idolatry uh, kind of uh, notes just to mop up a few things from last week. Hopefully that'll give you a bit of a heads up for this week. Check this uh, news article that was uh, on 10 News. You'll enjoy this. Devotees of a Hindu goddess have been gathering at a festival in India to offer their blood as a sacrifice. Barbers use their razors to inflict small cuts on the forehead in honour of the goddess Durga, the manifestation of power in Hindu mythology. The ritual is part of the Navaratri festival. Followers believe during the festival, Durga descends to earth to rid it of demons and bless her devotee. All right. This is interesting because I think if you had have come up and asked me two years ago what I think idolatry is, I'd say it's those guys. But now I actually realise it's me and it's actually all of us. Because Romans chapter 1, and if you've got a Bible and you want to have it open, we're going to be in Romans 1 most of the time. Romans 1 verse 25 says that people have exchanged the truth for the lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. So the point out of Romans chapter 1 is very, very clear that you, none of us actually stop worshipping. We worship all the time. We weren't created to worship. We were created worshipping. And there's a big difference. So when you come to church and someone stands up to lead singing worship, they don't say, how about you come and worship with me? Because you already are. The big question is, what are you actually worshipping? Are you worshipping Jesus or are you worshipping something else? You just do it all the time. You can't help it. So the point is that when you stop worshipping Jesus, you just start worshipping something else. G.K. Chesterton, I quoted him last week, uh, he said this. He said, when people stop believing in God, they don't then believe in nothing, they believe in anything. Absolutely critical, critical concept for you to understand. So the reality is, as fervent as you are in your worship of Jesus, there will be times where you're not worshipping him, where you're actually worshipping something else. And at that point, you're an idolater. You're not cutting your forehead like for Durga, all right? We don't worship Durga today, right? Durga's a demon and is a devil and is probably inspired by the devil and we don't do that, all right? Jesus never says, go and cut your forehead to atone for your own sins. He gets cut, he gets nailed to the cross to atone for yours. So you don't need to cut yourself to do it. This is really cool. A couple of notes about idolatry. The first thing, we'll get to X-Men in a sec, the first thing is this, idolatries for Christians are actually mostly not actually bad things. Sometimes they are, but they're not actually bad things. 
One thing, uh, hopefully, that you'll have in your head really clearly by the end of uh, today is this concept that when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's a bad thing. An example of this, uh, there's been a couple of comment- commentators, uh, I don't know if you know the story of uh, the Exodus and the, I think it was the ten plagues that God brought on the, the uh, Egyptians. Uh, some commentators have noted that all of those plagues are actually aimed at specific Egyptian idols except for one, which is the last one. What was the last one? What was the last one? Yeah, the other son. And some commentators have suggested the reason why it was the eldest son is because God was actually striking at the heart of family idolatry. Let's take the eldest son in. You guys make an idol of your family. Now, is looking after your family a good thing? Well, I hope so. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's a very good thing. But it becomes a bad thing when it becomes a God thing, when it becomes top on the rung. This... Uh, lady here uh, in the X-Men uh, superhero, oh, you may not be into it, who's seen X-Men? How much do I need to explain? I need to explain a bit. X- X-Men, some would say it looks a bit like a high school, but they're, f- they're all mutants, alright? I was kidding on that. And they've got superhero qualities because they've mutated as human beings, right? And they've all got different superhero powers. This, uh, this superhero, this uh, X-Men Ex-woman, oh, I don't know what you call her, but anyway, her name's Rogue, alright? Anyone know about Rogue, a few people? Cool. What Rogue does is when Rogue touches someone else, another superhero, she actually absorbs their powers and she becomes exactly like them in, in being able to achieve the same super stunts as the others might have, might have been able to achieve. And you know, there's something very similar between Rogue and idolatry. Because when you actually worship something, you actually mirror the thing that you worship. And I haven't got time to do it today. I desperately wanted to, but I'd go for like an hour and a half. And we don't do that at the project here. But I would love to take you through a bit of a cultural survey at some point in time about how this actually works. Because what we've actually got going... Oh, look, I'll give you 30 seconds. What we've actually got going in society at the moment is we've actually got a worshipping of celebrity culture. All right, that's what we've got. So what you actually started with is you started with, uh, there used to be uh, heroes, didn't there? Like just outright heroes. It didn't matter whether they were famous or not, they're heroes. And then what you ended up with is uh, they kind of became role models. And then we kind of moved into the area of celebrities, didn't we? And now we're kind of in, in the era where we've got celebrities who are famous for doing nothing or for making dodgy porn videos that end up on YouTube. All right, that's how they get famous now. And you've got people like Paris Hilton, like what does she do? All right? And even David Beckham's wife. Like, what the heck does she do? Well, she used to be in the Spice Girls. That's my point. What does she do? Oh, nothing. She doesn't do anything. All right? But she's famous. And you know what's happened after that is we've, we've actually gone to... So, I mean, 50% of the shows on TV are reality shows, aren't they? Reality TV shows. Well, what's that? That's making the ordinary person into a celebrity by doing the same thing as what the celebrities who do nothing are famous for. Did you understand that? That's, that's what it is. That's what reality TV is. Like, let's get someone in there and let's put a camera on them and they'll be famous for nothing, just like the other celebrities are. Then we get to extreme reality TV shows, wife swap, that kind of stuff, right, where festy stuff actually goes on because what we're finding is the more reality TV stuff that's out there, the more extreme it's got to get. You see that? 
And then, and here's a bit that you're not going to like maybe, but this is where I reckon it ends up. It actually ends up with uh, social networking sites like Facebook and Twitter. You know why? Because in some way, a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter and MySpace and all that sort of stuff, what are they trying to do? I'm trying to be famous like the reality TV people are famous. So there's a worship thing going on. There's actually a mirroring thing going on. And so what do we do? We end up with people who have got multiple personas on multiple social networking sites so that they can be a different person all over the place because they actually want to exhibit parts of their personality that make them extreme to get people to do what to them? Worship them. Excellent. You see it? So it's actually all about worship. Anyway, back to uh, X-Men. There's a scripture in uh, Psalm 115.4 which says this, Idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all those who trust in them. This is actually quite a theme through the whole Bible, that the thing that you worship, you actually reflect, and you become like it. So if you want to hunch over a controller and worship your Xbox, at some level you're going to become as spiritually sensitive and sound as an Xbox. Fair enough? That's how it works. This is really interesting, even when uh, you get to the Israelites. After the Israelites got freed from Egypt, they're at the bottom of Sinai, uh, Moses comes down from the hill with the two tablets of, of stone, not Panadol, of stone, and he comes down. What are the people worshipping? Yeah, the worship, well, Connie, yeah, what, what shape is it in? Yeah, a golden calf, right? In a golden calf. Now, check this out. Have you noticed, for those who get into the word a fair bit in the Old Testament, have you noticed that a regular rebuke in the Old Testament is that God's people are being stiff-necked? What's a stiff-necked animal? A stiff-necked animal is like a cow with a yoke on that won't do what it's supposed to do. You see that? And if you actually track it through the Old Testament, God actually calls his people cows a whole lot of the time because that was kind of the first thing that they worshipped and there's a sense in a spiritual way that they actually became like the thing that they were worshipping. A couple of other notes. I've been teaching one of my classes at school is that one of the things I've been teaching is that everyone is a slave to something. You can't stop being a slave to something. The trick is being a slave to something that brings freedom and not further bondage. And idolatry always brings slavery that, makes, that takes you more into bondage. The other thing uh, which I'll throw out to you here is uh, everyone's actually evangelistic about their idols. See, it doesn't actually matter whether you're an overt kind of core evangelical kind of charismatic type Christian, whatever you are, everyone actually sells the thing that they're worshipping to other people. And this is, I mean, you have superhero conventions. Did you see that one that was on recently down in Sydney? You know, everyone kind of goes there and they get dressed up as their superhero. Well, what are they doing? In some way, what they're doing is they're trying to persuade other people that their superhero is the best. And everyone kind of does this. All of us here do it. The things that you love the most, maybe the things that are an idol to you, you try to persuade other people that they would be really good for them also. This is just, we're just evangelistic. 
just uh, one other note there. Our culture uses the word addiction. If you were to translate addiction into biblical terminology, the word that shows up all the time is slavery. Check this from uh, Harold Best. No one's worship can possibly be self-contained even when it barely dribbles out. Even self-worship, self-absorbed outpouring, if you will, cannot be contained. In its perversity, it infects those who come near its self-worshipping centre. There's no better example of this than the hothouse of a high school. Everyone knows the terminology peer pressure. What's peer pressure? Peer pressure is a group of people who worship a certain thing. They put pressure on others to join them in the worship of whatever that thing is. One more thing, and then uh, we'll saddle up and we'll get into it. The scripture, 1 Peter, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says this, There is one mediator between God and, and men, the man Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. A mediator, if uh, Richard down here and I were just having a shouting argument and we couldn't work out our problems, one of the best things that could happen would be to bring in an, a mediator, which is a third person who can help bring peace between the two of us. And one area of idolatry that uh, happens a lot, I actually think, with Christian people is this concept of false mediators. And Paul's very clear in Timothy there, the person that actually brings peace between you and God is Jesus. There's only one. There's no other mediator. Let me suggest some other mediators that, uh, that Christians might uh, use. Spiritual disciplines. You can actually think subconsciously that Jesus, or sorry, God the Father will be more happy with you if you've spent some time in the Word this morning. And that can actually become a mediator for you. I wonder if you've ever had one of those days where you think, today's going to go really well. Subconsciously you think this, it's going to go really well because I've done what I should have done this morning. I prayed. It'll be better today because I prayed. Well, the day will probably be better because Jesus is your mediator, not because you actually perform some spiritual discipline. Are the spiritual disciplines bad? No, they're not. But if they become your mediator, they become an idolatry. Good worship music can be an idolatry. You can actually come to church, so we've just got a guitar and a dude singing. I reckon he's pretty good, all right? But we've got a, a guitar and a dude singing. And for some people, they come to church and they just think, oh, that's it. I don't have a drum kit and a bass guitar and an electric guitar. I just can't worship. Just going, well, you got the wrong mediator. You got funky music as your mediator to get you to God. Paul says there's only one mediator. Some people have their parents. Uh, I was talking to this person a little while ago and it became really obvious. I was way out of my depth. Sometimes I talk to people and I find out stuff and I just think, I don't even know what to do with that. I, I, you almost feel like you can't even say anything sometimes when you talk to people in their situation. And this person was uh, telling me a whole bunch of stuff and I'm just going, oh, I don't, I, you know, you're almost mute. Have you ever had that when someone tells you their history and you just kind of go, you know, you, just, you don't say anything because you just, oh, I don't know. But by the end of it, I just really felt like um, the Lord had kind of put something on my heart and I just shared with this person. I said, look, I'll be honest with you. I said, I think that your uh, mum and dad have actually become your mediator in between you and God. And the only God you understand is the one that your mum and dad explained to you. And I said to this person, I said, you need to go home tonight. Here's my suggestion to you. And I didn't tell her to do it. And I said, you need to go home tonight and talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you tell me who you are? So 
So they went home. They read a whole bunch out of the book of Matthew. Next day, the look on their face was just totally different. Because all of a sudden, this mediator that had messed up their view of what God was was kind of taken out of the way. And it was just Jesus showing this person what he was like. Very liberating. But it's an idolatry. Pastors can be that. They can stand in between us and God. When you say things like, what does it mean, sorry, what does it mean when you say things like, uh, the worship was good? This is a question we ask at the school here of students who go down to Hillsong. We don't have any issues. We think it's a really good thing. We've sung some Hillsong songs today. But they come back and they say, the worship was really good. And so we just say, well, what was good about it? Now, if the worship is really good because someone connects to Jesus, the worship is good, isn't it? But if the worship was good because we jumped around and we had a good time, well, it might be good, but it's not spiritually good, is it? Because there's kind of a false mediator that's clicked in there. The reality is, you can actually be, every single one of us can be an idolater right in the middle of worship, prayer and preaching. Anything that you connect, any time that you connect to something that's not Jesus, you can be an idolater. I had a student at the school here said to me a few years ago, they, they made the comment, why don't we have funky, funny speakers all the time at school? And I'm sure for that guy that his idolatry was, I just want to come in and be entertained and then leave. He wasn't thinking primarily about connecting with Jesus. He was thinking mostly about just being entertained. We'll get, get to more of that later. This is the last thing I'll mop up and then it's just going to get ugly. In a good way. All right? Some people get really angry with God and some people desert God. And one of the reasons why they desert God is because they've desperately been asking God to do something for them and he won't do it. And that thing has actually been an idolatry for them and so they're wanting to get to their idolatry and God stands in the middle and he blocks them and he says, I'm not going to give it to you because the best thing for God to give you is not your idolatry but it's actually himself. I've got four sons Alice one seven. I don't give my sons what they want all of the time. I don't give my sons what they think they need all of the time. Because anyone who's been a parent knows that what, and even if you haven't, you know this, you know that what people want and what they need very rarely overlap what they say they need, I should say. And sometimes God won't give you your idol if the best thing for you is to give you himself. Sorry, he does that all the time. He'll stand in the way. All right. Excellent. Let's get into it. So what I'm going to do for the rest of today, I'm going to show you a bunch of clips and stuff uh, that are related to specific idolatries. All right? I'm going to start off with this one, which is probably, I think I mentioned last week that uh, pride really is just self-worship. That's what pride is. So pride in itself is a worship disorder also. But uh, we'll start here because this is a massive cultural project that's on the go at the moment by this lovely lady, Lady Gaga, which is named Stephanie or Stefanata or I don't know, Jamoda or I don't know, can't imp- we'll call her Lady Gaga. That's much easier. Now, as you'd know, she's uh, quite known for outlandish costumes and stuff that she wears, right? So there's nothing massively dodgy going on up there, but I thought I'd just let's blur it out so that we can not be distracted by anything else. Because she's got some dodgy stuff. In October last year, uh, Lady Gaga actually uh, hit the record on YouTube for the most number of hits on her videos. 
All right, I think it was around about October 24 last year. She actually uh, reached 1 billion hits on her videos on YouTube. So that's 1,000 million hits on her videos. That's a lot of hits. Okay? She uh, has just recently done a, uh, what she calls a monster ball, which she'll talk about here in a minute. She just did that in Sydney, and I watched a little bit of her monster ball. I dead said, ah, people used to rag on me for quoting Joyce Meyer in sermons sometimes, so I'm just taking it up a notch and quoting Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just really get into it. But seriously, I could preach about half a sermon on this, on this lady, and in fact, my senior IBIB studies class are doing a whole assignment on her at the moment. Because she, you better believe that she has an agenda and she's pushing her agenda and she's not a nutty person that's going to get written off. She has a whole worship philosophy and she uses all the terminology. There you go. This is on uh, The Ellen Show. That's almost a sermon right there, isn't it? She really wants everyone to turn into narcissists, doesn't she? A narcissist is the, uh, the Greek mythology that there was a really handsome man called uh, Narcissus. He uh, was a hunter uh, and he was actually very, very proud. And Nemesis saw this and attracted Narcissus to a pool where he saw his own reflection in the waters and fell in love with it, not realising it was merely an image. Unable to leave the beauty of his reflection, Narcissus died. This is what Gaga wants everyone to do. Worship yourself, go to the puddle of water and look at your reflection and fall in love with it. I uh, was watching some uh, clips from, uh, on YouTube that were kind of uh, assembled images from uh, the Passion of the Christ movie. And uh, one of my sons was standing next to me and uh, I asked him this question. I like to ask my boys questions all the time, theological stuff. I said to him, I said, Caleb, I said, what do you reckon they killed Jesus? You know what he said? I kid you not, this is what he said. He said, because they wanted to be God. That'll do me. I think he was four at the time. I'm just going, that's pretty good. So he'd have something to say to Gaga. All right? And then he said this. He said, they actually wanted to be in charge of everything. Another day... Um, because we, we kind of cash this out in our house, this, this whole notion of unceasing worship. And uh, we, uh, we try to get to the heart of things. So with one of my boys, I, uh, I said, uh, who are you worshipping right now? Who's God? You know what he said to me? He goes, I only worship two gods. He's going, all right, okay, that's better than five, but we'll go for two. I only worship two. He goes, Jesus and myself. He knows it. He actually knows that when he's not worshipping Jesus, his major idolatry problem that he's got is actually worshipping himself. 
And this is what Gaga is encouraging everyone to do because this is going to bring life and vitality to our community, isn't it? Because a whole bunch of narcissists staring at their own reflection and falling in love with themselves is going to be a really selfless, healthy, vibrant place, isn't it? Not. I've got to give you some more Gaga quotes because you just seem to know what's going on. Check this out. Uh, this is Romans 1 verse 25. All right? This is Paul. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Here's what Gaga says. What I've discovered is that in art, as in music, there's a lot of truth and then there's a lie. The artist is essentially creating his work to make this lie a truth, but he slides it in amongst all the others. The tiny little lie is the moment I live for, my moment. It's the moment that the audience falls in love. Isn't that interesting? She has an an agenda and Paul speaks to this directly. In verse 25, they exchange the truth about God for what? For a lie. Cool. So we've got Gaga saying, worship yourself, and I love putting lies into my songs. And she's preaching for Paul, but she doesn't know it. And everyone else is getting tricked, which is a problem. Anyway, we'll keep going. What about this one? This is what Gaga says. I'm gay. My music's gay. My show is gay, and I love that it's gay. I love my gay fans, and they're all going to be coming to our show. It's going to remain gay. I very much want to inject gay culture into the mainstream. It's not an underground tool for me. It's my whole life. If you were here last week, you would have heard that there's actually a theological reason, uh, according to Paul in Romans 1. Don't shoot me. I'm just the postman. I just deliver the mail. right? But here's the truth. If you worship the creature rather than the creator, God gives people up to dishonorable passions for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. I could go on and on about Gaga. Gaga. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> um, I could go on and on about it because she has so much material, seriously, and so much of it fits in with Romans 1, but it all comes down to self-worship for her, and she's encouraging everyone to do this. won't go through this. This guy, this was on uh, TV, on, uh, sorry, on 9MSN on Friday. This guy's killed himself, committed suicide. He was in a version of Big Brother in France. And the Big Brother thing finished and uh, his fame started to decrease. I think he released some songs and a couple of other things. Fame kept decreasing. He ended up not being famous anymore and he couldn't handle it because he wanted to be famous. He wanted to be a celebrity and he wasn't anymore. So what do you do if you want to be a celebrity and you're not anymore? Well, apparently for this guy, the best thing to do is to go and kill yourself. That's a worship issue. So I wonder where you're at with uh, worshipping yourself. I wonder how much you are your own idol. Interesting question. What about this one? Anxiety often is idolatry. If I go back, uh, some people have heard me tell this story, but if I go back about 12 months or so, uh, I work with uh, a lot of students in the school here that that don't have a dad. And I work with a lot of boys who don't have a dad. And I see the struggle that that actually causes for the boys. And I went through a real period of time a little while ago, around about 12, 18 months ago, where I was intensely anxious and worried about dying because I have four sons. And I thought, I don't want to die. I don't, I did said I did not want to die. My wife would rip on me about being a hypochondriac, you know, and I'd go, 
I'd have one weird spot that had sharp on my own on my arm, and I'd be at the hospital, you know, at the doctors within two weeks, just going, "Oh, I, was, I just can't do it." And I kid you not, I was waking up in the middle of the night sometimes and laying awake in bed, because one of the worst things that I uh, feared was actually my boys growing up without a dad and just being messed because I wasn't around. And I kid you not, this one night. Actually, maybe it wasn't a night, maybe it was in the morning, but God just confronted me. You know what he confronted me with? He said this to me. He said, not, not audibly, but it was just more the Holy Spirit just brought a conviction on me. He's just going, you think you're a better dad than me. That's self-worship. And I did. I actually thought I was a better dad than God. Like I was the last great hope for my sons. I'm not the last great hope for my sons. The greatest most amazing hope is God the Father, is he not? And I need to trust that he's a good dad and if I get taken out by something, whether it be a weird spot on my arm or something else, I need to trust that he's actually a better dad than I am. And say, God, I'm giving you now, and if I died, I'm giving you my four sons to your fatherhood to have you care for them. I had to repent of pride which is self-worship. That's weird. It's one of the things, uh, if someone comes up to you and they're anxious and they're worried about stuff, you don't automatically think you need to humble yourself. But you know what? Peter does. Check this out in 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your what? Anxieties on him because he cares for you. What is the pair of concepts there for Peter? The pair of concepts is humility and anxiety and God caring for you. I can guarantee you that a lot of the time, anxiety actually comes from the fact that I think I'm the centre of the universe and I'm actually faced with an issue that's bigger than I can handle. So I get anxious about it because there's a problem because this God's not actually strong enough to deal with the issue that I've got in front of me. Anxiety often is idolatry because you've made yourself big in your own eyes and in front of the issues that you've got in front of you. Okay, let's get on to this one. This is a huge one, right? Fear of man, idolatry. Anyone recognise this guy up here? Howard Stern, he's one of the shock jocks from America. Check this out. We'll get to that in a sec. This is what uh, Howard Stern says. The curse, I take it so seriously, i got to know, do you think I did a good show? And are you satisfied? That's the neurosis, and that's the source of all problems for me. Down the bottom there, you can see the uh, subtitle on the uh, magazine cover is Deeply Neurotic, Desperate for Approval, and Happier Than Ever. People get dominated by this one, and it actually doesn't matter how old you are. In high school, we call it peer pressure. As you get older, it tends to be called people-pleasing. Let me ask you some questions, see if you've got a little bit of an issue with this. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Is self-esteem a significant concern for you? Does it make a big difference in your life to know that someone thinks you are great? And I'll just take 30 seconds here. You know, I, th- I, th- I actually suspect, and this is not... This is not coming from the Bible, right? So this is one of the things you can toss if you want. But I actually suspect in about 15 or 20 years, uh, we might actually look back on some of the Christian literature that's actually been printed and circulated and think that this concept has actually been driving a lot of it, all right? 
because a lot, of the, a lot of the way through my spiritual life, there's been all this stuff out there. This is what God thinks of you. God thinks that you're great. And there's, it, it's an overemphasis on God saying all these lovely, beautiful things. And I can have a list. I think it was Neil T. Anderson. And they're, they're biblical truths. But you end up with like a 60-dot point list of all the things that God thinks is really good about you. And that's true and that's biblical. But I think we need to be really careful because that can become another self-focused thing where God becomes a tool for me to feel good about myself because he says nice things about me. Do you see that? And he's not actually God. He's actually an, there's an idolatry there and Jesus becomes the way to get to my God and that's the fact that I want to feel good about myself. Do you need something from your friends around you? Do you need them to listen to you, laugh at you, respect you? Have you ever not actually tried your hardest because you were concerned with what people who were watching you would think if you didn't succeed? When you compare yourself with other people, do you feel good about yourself? Do other people's opinions have a powerful effect on you? Do you need others to think well of you before you can feel good about yourself? Do you ever feel like someone will eventually find out who the real you is and you'll be exposed as an imposter? I could keep going. I'm only about halfway through these questions. Fear of man is a snare, Proverbs says. What's fear of man? Fear of man is when all of us, if we've got an issue with it, whoever it is in this room, it's where someone else takes on the God place and their opinion of me becomes the most critical thing in my life. I had someone tell tell me about this uh, just recently. And it was just one of the most amazing conversations I'd had. This person just came out and they said, the thing that is most important to me is what other people think of me. And they said it this clearly. They said, I will pretty much do anything to make sure that their opinion of me is a good opinion so they've got people that like me. That's an idolatry. It's a dead set idolatry. Now, this person in particular said to me, well, I do believe in God and I do believe in Jesus. But it's like uh, where some of these questions have come from. There's a book called uh, When People Are Big and God Is Small. That's fear of man idolatry. Did he believe in God? Did he believe in Jesus? Absolutely he did. But God was small and people were big. They were God. All right, let's have a look at this one. Food idolatry. I wonder if you're getting through unscathed. This is out of uh, a movie... uh, called uh, Over the Hedge, which is basically about a group of animals who uh, went into hibernation. They wake up, there's a great big hedge next to their forest, and a housing estate's moved in. A raccoon's coming in to try and mess with them to get some stuff that he wants. But anyway, they've gone into the housing estate, and they're just outside uh, someone's house, I think. The raccoon tells them a few things about people, which I think are very insightful. Do you think it's pretty true? I love that one where uh, he says, this is what they do so they get rid of their guilt about eating too much food. I reckon it's true. I think those who were here last week, the, uh, we live in the land of the long white smorgasbord, do we not? And suggested last week probably what's required at the Sizzler exit door is a pastor to help people to repent as they come out of gluttony because they've eaten too much food. And that's not even getting into uh, people eating when they're feeling sad. I mean, that's a very well-known concept, isn't it? I've got a whole article, which I'm not going to show you today, but a whole article um, from the Cleo website about why food is not a good therapist. 
because people use it as a therapist. They use chocolate, they use food as a therapist. When they're bored, they eat it. When they're sad, they eat it. And then you have uh, food uh, disorders, bulimia and anorexia. Now, when someone's got bulimia and anorexia, what, what actually, what, what's one of the things they've got? Well, they've got a food idolatry. They eat too much. And then probably their fear of man kicks in about what, what are people going to think of them if they get fat, so the anorexia kicks in. doesn't matter. Either way, the God there is actually food. You've got gluttony. And the last thing here is diets. Diets are a strange, strange animal. All right? I'm not even going to ask who's been on a diet, but, I mean, it's possible that most people actually go on a diet because fear of man idolatry. I don't want people to think badly of me and think that I'm fat. But even when you go on a diet, food's still king, isn't it? Food's still God because it's food that's stopping you from eating and it's probably food that caused you to go on the diet in the first place anyway because you ate too much of it. It's this weird kind of idolatry that's going on. Some of you are thinking, do I need to go on a diet? I don't know. Let's move on. This one is prolific in the church, self-righteous idolatry. I found this nice little cartoon there. You might have seen some of those faces in churches before. I like that one at the top there. That's, uh, I work hard to maintain this righteous expression. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that you, that you are able in the way that you obey God to impress him? If you answer yes to that, you've created a God that's different to the one in the Bible and you've created an idol. You can't impress him. He said that. You can obey him. You can worship him. You can't impress him. I had this uh, very confronting thought a little while ago as in the kitchen, actually, over at home there, and I had this thought, I just thought, if Hitler and I stood next to each other when Jesus comes back to judge everyone, do I think that I've actually got a better claim on my outcome because of the things that I've done that Hitler hasn't done? And I, I honestly had to say, I think I do. I think I do think I've got a, a bigger claim. You know, the difference in claim between Hitler's claim and mine or yours is a speck of dust between the earth and the moon, isn't it? Because God's not impressed by my additional claim that I've, that I've got. And you know what it, it probably does is it actually puts me below Hitler because it shows I'm really self-righteous and proud, which is what kind of made the devil the devil. Fair enough? And the weird thing is, and this just occurred to me the other day, when we actually obey God in a way that we think we can impress him, we've actually just constructed a whole other God. Because he's not impressed by obedience. He loves obedience, he loves worship, and he loves the obedience that comes out of it. But in terms of you impressing him by your abilities and your ability to obey, he's not impressed. You've just created yourself another idol, top effort, which I think we do quite a bit. It's a great quote here from, uh, I'll throw in quickly on that. Self-righteousness leads to pride or, or despair. This is why in the church, people who are self-righteous, they're either really bummed out because they don't meet the standard that they think they need to hit to make God impressed with them and happy with them. Or they do, and they go around telling everyone else. All right? And they're the proud ones. You go, oh, and they're the ones that, like people out in culture who kind of mess things up. They're the ones that make those people not want to come to church. 
Because whether you like it or not, the people who are obeying God to be impressed with him have got as big a problem as someone who's out there on alcohol, getting himself smashed every night of the week. You've got an idolatry problem. You've got a worship problem. And if the self-righteous people in church who think they've got some sort of claim on God because they're good and because they're disciplined, if they actually started to repent more, you, you may find other people come to church more. Fair enough? And this is something, I mean, Jesus was absolutely caustic when it came to self-righteous people. This is a uh, great quote that I picked up uh, from Wayne Jacobson. You like this one? God's not disillusioned with you because he had no illusions about you to begin with. Don't try and impress him. Be his kid. Love him. All right. The winding up. Sexuality idolatry. Is not our culture absolutely chock full of this? Why are we surprised sometimes when we see the next perverted sexual thing that shows up on the news? Our society worships it. There's a whole... I was almost going to go into this, but... We've got too many kids here. Good. But there's a whole... There's a Hindu god in, uh, in India that worships the phallus. That's what they worship. And the, the irony is that those people could probably come to the West and say, well, you guys do too, wouldn't they? Because we kind of do. It just shows up all the time and weird, twisted things happen. We've still got blokes struggling with porn all over the place, even in the church. Maybe I shouldn't say even, maybe even especially in the church. We, um, the counsellors, uh, counsellor-type people in the, in the school here uh, and I go to see a psychologist who supervises us. It's part of the accountability process and... I go into it, but we just go and see him once a month. And uh, a couple of months ago, he said to us that he was going down to Brisbane the next day to do a talk on pornography for Vietnam vets. Yeah, I don't want to be critical of the Vietnam vets. I think they've done a great job for us. But isn't that really an idolatry thing? They've had some really rough stuff happen to them that I don't understand. And at what would they be? They'd be 70 maybe? They've got a psychologist telling him that, how to get off porn. There's too many pastors, too many people in churches that are struggling with this stuff. It's a worship issue. In youth culture, everything's always got to look hot or sexy. Watch terminology and listen to terminology. If someone says, oh, you look really hot, that's kind of code for, I actually want to sleep with you right now. Which is what it is, about 85% of the time. And it's this, this terminology that's actually been smuggled into uh, regular culture. Everyone's got to be looking sexy all the time. It's freaky. And then I'm not even going to start on Gaga, all right? She starts on herself. I'm not even going to start on her, but she is intertwining. You better believe she's intertwining sexuality, every kind of sexuality, into almost everything that she does. And it's not just self-worship. It results in uh, sexuality worship, all right? Shopping idolatry. Uh, does anyone remember the bumper sticker, the Clifford Gardens bumper sticker that used to be on the back of cars a few years ago? It was called uh, Shopping Therapy. Do you remember that one? It's like going to be a whole other therapy that we're going to give to psychologists and counsellors and psychiatrists. Just give them a $500 credit card and you just, you'll be right. Maybe some of them, it'll be more effective if they did that, but 
Um, send them to the shops and they can buy a whole bunch of stuff. Check this lady out. This is off uh, SBS's uh, Insight program. Isn't that interesting? Now, you've got to use code words. So she's using addiction. You use slavery. That's what you use. What's she saying? When I get really sad and depressed, the God that I go to to help me to feel better about myself is the shops. But then afterwards, I actually feel bad about what I've done. Man, I mean, that's that's idolatry. She's just talking about idolatry. And I wonder whether there's, there's any of us here, when you feel sad and bummed out, what do you do? You crack out the credit card and you hit Grand Central, maybe. I don't know. Some of us are cracking out the credit card and hitting Woolworths for a good feed so you can go home and eat it. Others might be hitting Grand Central to feel better about ourselves, get a new top, get a new jumper, a new pair of pants, new outfit. I refuse to let my wife tell me I wear outfits because that's a girl's thing, I reckon. But anyway, a new outfit. You know, My boys, my boys say to me, they, they go, that's a nice outfit, Daddy. You just go, no, it's not. It's just not. But it's, it's, uh, it's shopping idolatry. It's a God that helps you to feel better about yourself when you're down. You don't have to read too many Psalms to realise David knows where to go when he feels flat and out of it, doesn't he? He goes to God and he pours it out to God, doesn't he? He says some rugged things to God about how he feels. He's not going to go to the shops, all right? Admittedly, David did. He got the whole sexual idolatry thing going, didn't he? That's what happened there. That wasn't just a random case of adultery. That was sexuality worship. That was sex worship. That's what it was. All right, this one is uh, becoming more and more epidemic. And uh, if you're older, you're probably not as susceptible to this as younger people, but you've probably heard younger people say this because they actually use fun as a filter for what's good and what's bad, what's morally good and bad. They just do it. If something's boring and it's bland, it ends up being kind of evil almost. That's how it works with youth, youth culture. So... And then this flows into, uh, what do you like about worship? Because what you've actually got now, I think, is you've got a temptation in churches, and there's a temptation for us here, to put on a good show and, and to entertain. Why do we need to entertain? Now, this, we need to do the job well, because I think God would do things well, wouldn't he? And the Old Testament, that was very much the focus for uh, the priesthood and what would happen in the temple. Let's do things really, really well. But the focus actually isn't about entertaining people and making people laugh. It would be far better for all of us to come to church on Sunday morning and to walk out with a changed heart than to come, have a laugh for 10 minutes in total over the length of the sermon, walk out the door and go back to our hellish existence. Because what we really need is changed hearts. Because... Probably in here, all of us are struggling with some areas of idolatry. If you look at what cancelling is in a biblical context, what's cancelling? Cancelling is smashing idols because you're a slave to them. You're addicted to them and they're trashing you. They're not good masters. Fun idolatry are those people who only do what's fun. They, uh, they won't go to a social event if it's not fun. Um, they're the kind of people who show up for one and they're kind of going, this is slow, it was boring, it was pathetic, so I'm not coming back, all right? Um, fun is the God. doesn't suit me, they say. Um, and then you end up with this whole kind of mess where if the God is actually fun, 
people just massively start excusing evil things because it's fun. Well, it was some dodgy stuff in it, but it was generally a good movie. The guy stayed with his wife even though he slept with 15 people and they showed it in the movie. And you end up making these weird, bizarre, theological justifications for why you're actually doing the stuff you're doing. And what it really is, is you're just enjoying it. You're just getting a little bit of pleasure out of it. The uh, philosophical term is hedonism. All right, last one. And then uh, it's going to get interesting. Work idolatry. I actually think at the moment that we are probably in a bit of a time where we need to recover the Sabbath day. Not necessarily on Saturday, but it seems pretty clear to me um, from the beginning, from creation that having a day off is something you get to do. And often the response from people is, oh, you just, and some of you just probably right now, you just go, oh, it's just getting all legalistic on us. But sometimes I actually think, and I've, part of the reason I know this is because I do it. Sometimes you actually throw out this legalistic line, you're getting all legalistic on me. Because we actually want to hide some of our idolatries and our comfort and the ways that we've decided that we want to do things. It seems pretty clear that God, in the Bible, God's pretty keen for all of us to have a day where we can focus on community with each other, relationship, relationship with him, come to church. And we're probably entering a bit of a zone, arguably, where uh, people just do work stuff on Sunday. Sundays is just the same as every other day. I can't come to uh, church today because I'm, I chose to go to work and work. So that's, that's maybe a bit controversial, but just be aware of the fact that you are uh, probably have an inclination to um, make up justifications that probably aren't that sound under the banner of that's legalistic. I don't think God ever meant having a day off in, at, at the start of everything in creation to be a legalistic thing. I'm pretty sure that's what, that's what Jesus said, what he said too. He said, uh, um, what did he say? He said, man was made for the Sabbath. Sorry, the Sabbath was made for man. That's right. So the Sabbath actually isn't boss. Man's boss of the Sabbath. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, well, this is something I kind of gave to you. So take the day off. Spend some time with me. Spend some time with each other. Do some stuff together. All right, here we go. Now, if you've got a pen, that's going to be really helpful because I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of questions out for you. Would you mind handing those out? And I just need a, uh, a volunteer to hand some pens out. We're just going to go through a questionnaire. If, you, uh, if you've got a pen... Just grab it. If you don't, stick your hand up. These guys will give you one. Please, uh, the slides that I'm about to show are actually on the back of that sheet, but you don't need to turn it over because they prob the questions may not make a whole lot of sense unless I explain them. This will just about wrap it up for us. What this is about is uh, we're not going to have like a public reading of what everyone writes here. Not really interested in that. Uh, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You can just write the answers down. There's going to be 17 questions and hopefully by the end of the 17 you will get a little bit of an idea as to what your uh, typical idolatries are uh, that you default to when you're not worshipping Jesus. All right? 
And the purpose of this, uh, in two weeks' time, next week uh, Chris Windus is coming out to uh, do a doctrine message for us here, which we're looking forward to. The week after that we'll be specifically looking at how to break idols. Um, so what I'm hoping that you might do is you might actually uh, write these uh, answers down, take it away and over the next two weeks just really pray about it and see God about what uh, idolatry is actually going on for you and then deal with it. Question number one, answer this one. What are you most afraid of? Now, don't go getting all Christianese, right? That's the last thing you need. No one's going to see this, so I don't know. I don't know what it even means if you're lying in church. I don't know. <laughs> Two, what do you actually want the most? Yeah, we're not, as I said, we're not going to read these. So if you say, you know, I'm most afraid of losing Jesus and I, I want Jesus the most. Now, if that's true, that's cool. Alright, but you're not getting any brownie points because we're not going to read your sheet out. Alright? So if it's not true, I'm not saying you're all liars, by the way. It's just sometimes Christians in the culture and the community of uh, Christendom so much that they uh, say the right things and don't actually think deeply about it. Three, where do you run for comfort? When you're sad and when life doesn't work out for you, where do you run for comfort? Four, here's a good one. What do you complain about the most? That's a good one. It's likely that the thing that you complain about the most is an inverse, or your complaints are an inverse identification of what your idol is, something you're not getting that is really important to you. Five, what gets you angry the most? Six, what makes you the happiest? You think about those moments in your life, the peak points in your life where you've been the most happy. Why were you? What was it that was making you so happy? Seven, how do you explain yourself to other people? And when you meet someone new, and you're pretty keen for them to get an idea of who you are, what are some of the key things that you are uh, focusing on making sure are included in your statements about yourself early on? Eight, what things have actually caused you to be angry with God? Nine, you keeping up? What do you boast about? When you boast... And uh, the older you get, the more creative you are and the more you're able to boast without other people thinking that you're boasting. But you know you are. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Just kind of slip it in. You've got to do it in a nice way because if you did it out loud and proud, everyone would go, oh, you're really arrogant. You just kind of slip it in. What do you actually want people to know that you're good at? Ten, what do you want to have more than anything else? You could have something. What do you actually want to have more than anything else? And that's the job of the whole marketing machine, is it not? To tell you that the thing that you need to have more than anything else is what they're selling you. Eleven. Who or what do you sacrifice the most for in your life? If uh, an omniscient person, and there is one, but if an omniscient person, if I was omniscient, which I'm not, a lot of you would be really calm and 
at peace about because that would be bad. But if I was and I actually looked at your uh, weekly schedule and your bank account, what would I be able to determine is the most important thing to you based on how much time you commit to it and how much money you spend on it? That's really what this question is about. I reckon those are probably two really key areas where if you actually sat down and had a hard look at uh, where you spend your time and where you spend your money, you'd probably get pretty close to a key idolatry for you. Twelve. This is the miracle question. If you could change one thing in your life miraculously, then what would it be? So you go to sleep tonight and miraculously the thing that you want the most happens while you're asleep and you wake up the next morning and it's happened. 13. Whose approval are you seeking? Who is it that you really want to like you? 14. What do you want to control or master? 15. What comfort do you treasure the most? Sort of recliner chair, maybe. It's possible. Recliner chair idolatry. Yeah. Two more, and we're done. I'll read a couple of scriptures. We'll close out. 16. What do you daydream about? I read this whole article recently that, uh, where the guy said mostly what people daydream about is their idolatries. So you daydream about being this hot dancer or uh, this famous musician. One of my daydreams a lot of the time has been, uh, like I really like the Dave Matthews band and I watch this video of them playing in Central Park in New York with thousands of screaming fans and you're just going, oh, it'd be nice to be Dave or the drummer. Or There's probably... Something of idolatry kicking around in that. Last one. What prayer unanswered would make me think, seriously think about turning away from God? Is there something? Is there a prayer? You can uh, do with that as you please. Most of you would be probably, I would imagine, pretty keen to keep it private if you want to or you can share it with someone at some point in time. Good thing to pray about. And uh, it's a good invitation for you to come back in a couple of weeks and hear the uh, busting idol sing. So um, Paul will just collect the pens. While we're doing that, I'll just run through a couple of scriptures and we're done. This is our last slide. Ezekiel 14 has got this passage that basically comes out of nowhere. It goes like this. And certain of the elders of Israel, so you're talking about the, uh, the high-ranking spiritual kind of leaders of Israel, came to me, to Ezekiel, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. So the situation here is the the leaders of the people have come to the prophet because they need some help with something. And God's told the prophet before they even start talking, he says, these guys have got idols in front of their face and uh, there's a massive problem here. And I'm not happy with them having idols in front of my face, the spiritual leaders. Thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. You see that? There's a bit of a sense here like, woe betide the man that shows up to the prophet with idols in front of his face. 
Woe betide the man or the woman that shows up in front of God with idols in front of their face that they're worshipping that they don't want to let go of. God's going, I'm going to come for you. But this beautiful verse in verse 5, why does God answer the people? Why is he going to be strong with them? He's going to be strong with them so that he may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. God actually wants all of your hearts. God actually wants my heart. So when God does some serious surgery and deals with their idolatries, which we have in front of our face, you're not going to see God very clearly through an, through an idol. It's because he wants your heart. Last scripture from Jonah. This is just a perla. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. See, all of our hope of love and mercy is in Christ, isn't it? It's in God. He's the one who's merciful and loving. When you pursue vain idols, you forsake your only hope of love and mercy. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray and uh, sing our closing song. God, uh, we, do, we do become slaves. We do become slaves to idols. It's really stupid. Really stupid. Idolaters, really, Lord, which all of us are at some point in time, are really dumb. Why would, you be an, why, why would you be an idolater? Why would you worship something else that brings increased bondage, that messes with you, that hurts you? Lord, we do it. It's refreshing, Lord, to know that you're a God who wants to rescue. You want to rescue culpable idolaters from their false worship, which is destroying them because you want to lay hold of our hearts. God, I pray that we'd be on the good side in a sense of what Jonah says, where he says, uh, those who seek after idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. God, I pray for us. I pray that you'd help us not to forsake our hope of steadfast love, but to draw into you and to worship you, to turn our worship to you, to repent to turn away from our idols and to turn back to you. Amen.